Welcome to Sports Jerks, home of the hot takes and land of the sponsorship of the Underwater Wood Welding Union. Thank you, Underwater Wood Welders, a necessary trade in today's fast-moving economy. Josh, I'm here with Josh. Dan, <laughs> my name is Dan. Josh, how are you, buddy? What's going on? <laughs> I don't I don't even know how to carry on. I don't know to focus on the welding, the wood part, the underwater, the fact that you forgot our names. I don't know. I'm just going to kick it over to Izzy and get the corrections department ready to go. Hey, Jerky Crew, it's Izzy from the Sports Jerks Corrections Department. No mistakes from last week, but since the boys are talking UFC today, I assume we will have a lot of corrections for next week. Also, shout out to TSN and the Raptors for having the first all-women broadcast team in NBA history. Thank you, Izzy. Um, I'm actually really glad she brought that up. Last night, Raptors versus Nuggets. The Raptors put out the first all-women broadcast crew, and that is everyone on TV, sidelines, reporting. It's great to see. You know what even makes me happier is that when you do go online, there's so many losers that are like, who cares? Like, uh, like what? Like, what does it even matter? And, and it's kind of like it just goes to show you exactly why something like this needs to happen because it gets brought to the forefront. And these women have dedicated their whole lives to either playing basketball or uh, you know, reporting basketball and then coming together and putting together a kick-ass show. And, and I love to see it. Yeah, no, no, no. Pay no attention to any of the noise that's online, man. These women, first of all, these women could dance around any of these guys online talking shit, like in anything, For sure. in, in, in any walk of life, let alone sports. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just goes to show you that that is so necessary. It was so fun. It was so fun to watch. And after like three seconds, it's like I didn't notice anything different. It was just a Raptors broadcast. It was awesome. Totally. Totally. Uh, it was fantastic. I love that. I'm even loving Sportsnet bringing on uh, Jennifer Botterill in, in, in particular. I love her. Um, you know, Canadian Olympic champion, hockey player. She's been terrific. Um, so on both sides of the coin, you got TSN, Sportsnet, local for us. They've been doing a great job. So I, I, I'd like to see more female voice here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We might have to, uh, if they can spare some time, come and help the sports jerks out because there's a little too much testosterone between you and I. But <laughs> today was a really, really exciting day in the NBA. As of right now, the trade deadline has ended in the NBA, but that being said, there's still some things that are trickling in. So let's start with the Raptors. Norm Powell is gone. We talked about it last week. He was hot and heating up even more. He's averaging 26 points over the last 10 games. He's been holding it down for the Raptors. His contract is up at the end of the year. We talked about it last year, uh, last week, sorry. And we thought that he would be a really good, you know, player for them to potentially, you know, move on from and try to recoup some assets. So he is gone from the Raptors and in exchange for Rodney Hood and Gary Trent from the Portland Trailblazers. Dan, what do you think of this move? Well, it had to be done on the expiring contract, right? So I think they recouped decent value. Um, you know, Norm's obviously a win-now type player. Right, so Portland's setting up for that. That's going to be nice. Uh, that'll be fun to watch him on Portland. Um, yeah. In terms of the return, I think Hood was a, a salary match, if I'm not mistaken. I think kind of just a toss-in for a salary match. He's not really... Yeah, I honestly thought when I saw the Rodney Hood in there, I kind of assumed 
you know, maybe we're going to see him coupled with somebody else right at the trade deadline. Like, I thought maybe it's like get him and flip him kind of situation because I mm-hmm. don't think he offers a lot of value. But obviously, like you said, a salary match uh, type situation. Gary Trent is basically what this trade is for. I would have loved to have seen a pick in this trade. Um, I think that, you know, when we're flipping these guys, we, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to gear up for the future. Gary Trent offers, you know, a lot of upside. He's doing, he's, he's been playing pretty well this year. I like him a lot. He's only 22 years old, but he only has a year, a full year left on his contract next year. And that's only if we offer a qualifying offer to him and then he becomes a restricted free agent. So, you know, if he loves his time in Toronto, maybe they decide that this is a piece moving forward. He's already turned down an extension though. So he's going to be looking to get paid much the same as Norm was. But I do see a lot of value here. Um, you know, whether or not maybe they do this again next year and Gary Trent gets moved the same way that we move Powell, I don't know. Um, but you know, I think, I think this offers some value. Um, as of now, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski has reported that the Raptors are not going to be trading Kyle Lowry. Apparently the market was, uh, pretty, you know, on, you know, undervaluing of his, of his skill set. I saw some really like some, you know, kind of low ball offers. So, uh, it looks like he's going to be, he's going to be sticking around at least for the rest of the season. Yeah, I know there's there's some reports that he was looking for some assurance of of like a contract extension for wherever he landed. So Mm. whether or not that was part of holding it up or like you said, I mean, it seems like he was kind of undervalued by other teams uh, and the Raptors didn't think it was worth it to part with him. So like, where do you go from here? I can't see him just walking for nothing at the end of the year and then signing as a free agent somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I... I don't know. Lowry is kind of a tricky one. He said he wants to retire a Raptor. I've had I was having a conversation with uh, a fan of uh, a friend of the show this week, and he was basically saying he took Lowry's remarks that he wanted to retire as a Raptor to mean that if he gets traded or if he decides to move on, he'll always want to come and close out his career in Toronto. I didn't take it as that. I took it as I don't want to be traded. I'm here. I want to be here, kind of thing. So. Um, you know, I guess we're going to find out where his head is at. He's still a Raptor. I think he still offers a lot of value. The, you know, the good thing is, is if we fully had traded him as well, I think the team would have taken even a greater step back from what they've shown this year. So I honestly don't mind keeping him around. Um, we also saw a couple other moves. Matt Thomas got traded to the Jazz for a second-round pick, and I just heard Terrence Davis... Uh, was also traded for a second-round pick, so we're stocking up second-rounders. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly what I wanted to see today. I wanted a little more fireworks. I definitely wanted to see a first-round pick, but, I mean, this is where we stand, and um, and I like that they're at least trying. You know, the last thing, like we talked about, is you don't want to be hanging on to guys longer than you need to mm-hmm. and then them walking away for no value. Yeah, I actually think they did pretty well. Um, all things considered, right? No fireworks, nothing like that. But I think, like, I don't know what to say about Kyle Lowry's future. Like, any way it goes, like, they're not going to really compete in the next two to three years. So, I mean, if you're going to give him a two-year kind of kind of sentimental contract at the end there to just keep things interesting and maybe, you know, make a playoff round, right, somewhere in there, like, that's fine. Um, but in terms of like the rest of the team, I think they made off well, right? Like you get uh, an expiring asset like Powell, you get something for him. Uh, Gary Trent is interesting because he's kind of younger, right? I think he's 22. Yeah, he's 22. So yeah. he's 22. So he kind of lines up more with like the OGs and the Pascals a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. 
that's interesting, right? It's always cool to see the devil you don't know, right? It's interesting whenever teams make trades in any sport and you get somebody new. I kind of liken it to Steven Matz on the Jays. Like you get Mm. a team has tried a little bit with somebody and maybe had up and down success. And that team was trying to extract that, you know, that, that, that value out of the player and never quite got there yet. Or maybe they turned down an extension like Trent. Um, but then the new franchise fans get them and they're like, Oh, shiny new toy kind of phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah totally. But there actually is more than that here. I think Gary Trent jr. Has that ability. It's just, you don't want him to play himself out of the Raptors payroll right you want him to kind of settle in sweetly there maybe get in ahead on something on some sort of extension before he blows up if he does right right and and it is kind of like a flyer like you said too if he blows up there is a chance that gary trent although he flies under the radar for a lot of you know for a lot of just nba fans he's not like a household name he played uh, obviously in a smaller market in portland and he played behind lillard and mccollum but you know the guy can hoop, so you never know mm-hmm. if he takes off. We could be looking at maybe a future long-term raptor that is worth that pay, because we know that Norman Powell, although he offers some value to me at least, he hit his ceiling. Uh, a couple other big moves today: the Magic got rid of Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon in separate trades, mind you. So the Bulls get Vucevic and Al Farouk Aminu in exchange for Otto Porter, Wendell Carter, and two first-round picks. Then they flipped Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark to the Nuggets for Gary Harris, R.J. Hampton, and a first-round pick. So the Magic got rid of their two big dogs. Obviously, they haven't found a way to win, so I respect the move. And they're going to be looking at, you know, three first-round picks. Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. What more can you ask for from a team that didn't get it done, hasn't got it done, I mean, wasn't forecasted to get it done, so just stock up on the picks, man. Nothing wrong with that. Agreed. And, I mean, the one part, I think, for the Bulls, it's a little bit odd. We talked about this off-air before, but, you know, the Bulls aren't really in a contending-type situation. They don't have a very good team. Obviously, they have a phenomenal asset in Zach Levine, and his ceiling continues to rise. So, you know, I think this is their shot of saying, you know, they don't want somebody like Zach Levine to stay for you know the end of his contract, and then he looks at them and says, listen, you did absolutely nothing to make this team better. Why am I going to ride out another five years, four years with you guys when you clearly don't give a shit? So I think in this situation, although Vucevic is phenomenal, I don't think he does take them to a contender-type level. I think now he takes them from borderline the basement in the East, and he, he, you know, he might get them into that, you know, Six, seven, eighth seed when they maybe you know if if not this year then next year. But I don't see them as a contender, so I'm like kind of you know sending two first rounders when it's not going to take you over the edge. I thought it was kind of an overspend. Maybe, maybe. Um, but I'm just thinking about the Bulls. Like I was actually watching a Bulls game the other day and just thinking to myself, they haven't have they really competed since MJ? Other than like the Derrick Rose and like that little blip there, have they competed since him? No, just the Derrick Rose. They had that that couple like glory years where it yeah. was like Carlos Boozer was still kind mm-hmm. of banging at mm-hmm. later in his career. Joe Kim Noah was actually, yeah. you know, like a great kind of like, you know, defender and just kind of like just rebounder and he was a monster. They had a really young, tough team, but it didn't last very long. The injuries and then Joe Kim fell off a cliff and and they've been struggling ever since. Uh, just kind of like a side thought, you know, bringing up Chicago, but uh you know, despite an overpay, it's always fun to see teams that are kind of in that ebb part of the ebb and flow. It's nice to see them kind of coming back to this side, maybe at least trying something, at least doing trying. something. Right. So that's exciting. You know, maybe the first 
first step in maybe many to becoming sort of, sort of contender in the East again. Interesting either way. Totally. And I think, honestly, like we talked about a few weeks ago when Teddy was on with us, I think Nikola Vucevic is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. So I'm actually mm-hmm. interested to see what he can do with a newer team, like, you know, a new coach, a new team, a new setting. Now he'll have, he'll have Levine with him. Uh, I'm excited to see what he actually does because, you know, Aaron Gordon, although, you know, he... You know, he puts up about 15 points, seven rebounds, four assists, something like that, which is quite good for a big, especially he moves the ball, but he never lived up to that all-star elite status. Showstopper as far as being an exciting, explosive player, sure. But as far as being just a fundamentally good basketball player, he hasn't got it done. So I'm interested to see what happens. Uh, Before we move on, Raptors snap a nine-game losing streak with a win last night over the Nuggets. You know, before uh, Norm Powell continued to roll, he put up, I think, 22 points last Mm -hmm. night, um, got it done. We won't focus too much on the stats like we talk about with this show. We want to focus on the humanity portion of it. So in this downswing, there has been some trouble in Siakam Paradise. For anybody who doesn't know, It was reported that Pascal Siakam was fined $50,000 for directing heated choice words at head coach Nick Nurse after Sunday's loss in Cleveland. Since then, the Raptors PR team has come out and said that fine is not true. But Dan, as you stated, it is clear that the events did transpire whether or not he was fine is irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're using a little bit of political speak there to say, no, he wasn't fined. You know, to kind of maybe wash over the whole thing and say it didn't happen, but it obviously happened. And so whether or not there was any internal discipline is kind of irrelevant at this time. Um, I did see a Pascal Siakam last night during the game that I haven't seen in a while. He was smiling and like having fun. Mm. Um, But again, I don't like, you know, drawing game to game conclusions on a guy's mental state based on that. But... It's worth noting that it happened. A blow-up happened, and obviously there's some sort of mental pressure. They've been playing in Tampa all year. It's been a terrible season. Like, what an awful season. Like, just all around. Off the court, on the court, inconsistent. A little bit of COVID mixed in the middle there. Terrible, right? So it's just been an all-around bad vibes. So not surprising that, you know, being lifted from the game or potentially lifted from the game, he would kind of have an outburst like that. But you and I were texting the other night, and uh, we were saying how many times was the ball in Siakam's hand in the dying seconds, and he did not come through this season. So many. Yeah, I actually looked it up. He has missed four buzzer beaters this year alone. So, I mean, I, I so I'll, I'll, I'll put the question to you then. So this is actually not the first time this year that Siakam has had kind of disciplinary action against him. Earlier in the year, he was benched for an entire game because he decided at the end of a game when they were losing that he didn't want to stay on the bench with his teammates. He wanted to go back to the dressing room. So are we starting to see a pattern that we haven't had to see this side of Siakam yet. There are two options in my mind. Option one, he is just a heat, you know, he's a heated competitor. A lot of these guys are. They don't like to lose, but it, you know, it brings out the best in them. And typically it's what gets them to rise to the next level. The second option is we're seeing a guy that has basically only been on the Raptors during winning seasons and he doesn't know how to lose gracefully and he's going to cause problems if the team continues to tank. I just think that all the winning masked everything, right? If you're winning, I'm sure so many teams, I bet, you know, it'll be interesting to hear about anything, 
any bad things going on underneath championship teams. And I'm sure there's a lot, right? And look at Kyle Lowry's early career too. Lots of clashes with GMs and coaching staffs, right? Everywhere. Um, you know, it's kind of his story before he came to the Raptors and settled in. Very and, true. Right? And, and I think winning just kind of distracts everybody or just makes everybody look happier than, than they are. Uh, so up to this point, we've had that benefit, right? That mask over any potential you know, struggles. There haven't been any struggles really to this point. And like you said, Siakam hasn't, especially in his career, experienced really anything in terms of exactly. you know, adversity, right? So if you're getting, my problem here is if you're getting that max paycheck, you got to take the bad that comes with the good. Damn straight. And that's it. That's, that's There's really no more retort to that. I'd be fascinated to know, you know, if somebody could defend Siakam's behavior, please do. But if you're getting paid at that clip, you need to just be like a quiet superstar like Mr. Tim Duncan. I mean, obviously, that is the absolute cream of the crop beauty <laughs> of a man. I can't, I, you know, I pray that he turns into a guy like Timmy D. Yeah. But, I mean, even worst case scenario, I hope this is just, like, again, that just competitive spirit in him that's coming mm-hmm. out. And, and because of his age, he needs to, like you said, which is a super good point about Kyle Lowry, is that he needs to maybe learn how to become a consistent professional because the last thing you want is like, you know, you meet somebody new in life, you meet a girl, you meet a guy, you guys are dating, you love each other. It's all fun and games. You're bowling, you're fucking, you're doing drugs, whatever you guys (laughs) like to do. And everything is great. But then when you eventually have to, you know, the, you know, the smoke clears and you have to deal with real shit. That's where mm-hmm. you really find out who people are and whether or not you guys are compatible. So we're going to find out if Siakam can be compatible with the Raptors, I think. That's a story as old as time, though. You can apply that to anything, right? So that right. is, and, and it is the ultimate test. So I'm interested to see how it is, right? And I, I don't know. I, I, I hope not. And I hope that if Kyle Lowry stays, I hope that he's kind of like in the twilight. You know, when people get older, you know, we're all getting older. You and I are getting older. Right? Especially we, you. We don't look it. We, you know, we don't look like older. <laughs> but I mean, you know, everyone gets kind of gets calmer, quieter. I hope the same kind of thing happens to Kyle Lowry because if they have any more embarrassing seasons in them like this, now, mind you, they'll be back at home in Toronto, thank God. And hopefully yes. all this COVID shit's kind of blown over or at least it's safe enough for them to be with their families at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll mitigate some of the kind of mental turmoil that a season can inflict on somebody. But I just hope to God that Kyle Lowry doesn't stick around long enough to maybe give us some of these blips. Imagine if he has, you know, we re-sign him and all of a sudden he has, you know, an outburst or whatever like that. That would be the worst case scenario. I'm just throwing spitballs at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's going to be possible <laughs> to get those things off later. But let's go ahead and let's transition into baseball. I want to talk about baseball. It's a beautiful day. We've had sun straight, four or five straight days here in Toronto. Josh, what have you seen the Jays lately what have you seen here in terms of injuries that are kind of perturbing you a little bit i'm kind of feeling i'm feeling a little sick to my stomach are you feeling myself. perturbed are you feeling i perturbed? am i'm perturbed <laughs> my stomach's <laughs> oh my goodness yeah today this week was honestly the most devastating news that you could ever see for the blue jays all in one week because it was nothing but consistent oh. problems like let's just quickly go through the list we obviously talk about nate nate pearson he had his groin injury since he has suffered a setback how severe we don't know but he's out for oh, you know at least a little boy. bit Kirby Yates, you were very high that he was going to be kind of, you know, anchoring our back end of our bullpen. Well, Mr. Yates is out for the season and will undergo Tommy John surgery. Then you got good guy Robbie Ray. Falls down the stairs. 
while holding <laughs> while holding his child. I don't oh, even mean to laugh. I shouldn't <laughs> laugh either. <laughs> I mean, okay, and this is coming from a guy. I've fallen down the stairs in my house in the That's last That's why I'm year. laughing. Twice. I fell twice. Thank God I was not holding a child, though. The kid is good, though. Thank God, but still bad for bad for Blue Jays baseball. He's out, and he's got an elbow injury on his throwing arm. George Springer. I, I'm going to pause again. George Springer is out with an oblique <laughs> strain. Now, an oblique strain can be, you know, a couple days. You know, I've seen you run the base pass, Dan, and when that oblique goes, oh, it goes. Oh, it goes. So they are going to absolutely be nursing him with kid gloves because it's one of those injuries. You bring him back a second early and he explodes off that leg. He's going to be out for, he's going to be on the 60 day. So, um, and then when it couldn't get worse, you're like, okay, you're sitting down last night. You're ready for the game. You're feeling good about yourself. Biggio, he's out. Finger, finger injury. He's done. So it has been a rough week for the Jays. And you're making me laugh by the, by the way you're saying it, (laughs) but it's not a laughing matter at all. It's really not. Let's start with George Springer. Okay. Obviously the biggest acquisition in Jays land for a while. Oh man. You might think oblique. Oh geez. He hurt his oblique. You only need your oblique for breathing, for God's <laughs> sake. Holy shit, man. I'm sorry. He better be resting on his couch and just honestly just somebody massaging his oblique. I don't care. Like a dedicated oblique massage nonstop. <laughs> he better be careful. Uh, that was. It's funny how they all released that right at the same time. Like, what the fuck? Well, like I think it was like a few days after each other. Although Springer and Yates might have been the same day. I think Springer, Yates, and Robbie Ray were all on the same day. Robbie Ray. Poor Robbie Ray, man. So it's weird because it's not even like, you know, maybe Yates was maybe throwing and felt his, his sh- uh, elbow go, right? Yeah, uh, uh, I think so. Springer was maybe, I don't know, eating, breathing, anything <laughs> else, Whatever else requires your oblique existing, know. sitting up straight. And then at the same time, Robbie Ray was pulling a Joshua and tumbling down his stairs at home. So I don't know what the hell the Jays did to do this, to, to cause this. Thankfully, none of them look, I mean, obviously outside of Yates, yeah. none of them look to be like long, long, long term. Right. Um, but we but haven't I, even played a game. I know. We haven't even had a regular I, season game yet. I know. That's the only problem is that uh, what a damper because everyone was so high. Everyone's been smoking the Blue Jays ganjish. Uh, <laughs> all, all off season. Yeah, and I've now. been hitting that peace pipe. To be honest, I've been excited for this year. Oh man, it's so exciting, right? And just honestly, man, I can't state this enough. But just in the wake of all this COVID shit and possibly the darkest winter that the whole world has maybe experienced, right? In terms of just like mental health and just being bogged down and snowed in, seeing that sun coming up and knowing that it's time for baseball again is just ten times more kind of rejuvenating this year. So just. To kind of have our, our ball hairs plucked one by one yesterday, or maybe all at once, because they all they all dropped in the same tweet. So actually, you know oh what? Maybe God. it was all at once. That's oh. not so bad. Um, but we'll have to see how it plays out. But regardless, Bobichet had two opposite field hard hard hit home runs against the Yankees yesterday. The Jays actually handled the Yankees. I, I don't have the score offhand. I was watching and I had a nap and I woke up. I wasn't in the right state <laughs> of mind to kind of record these things in my mind. But yeah. I do know that uh, they, they they put a good handle on them. Uh, the pitching staff outside of, you know, obviously the injuries looks really good. Jordan Romano, uh, if you recall, had a bit of a nagging finger injury and, you know, he's been studly. Um, and so I think the back of the bullpen, you know, between him, between Rafael Dolis, who was fantastic last season, I think they can hang on, you know, barring any last second additions that they might want to make. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I know certainly in the rotation as it stands right now, I still don't believe that they have enough depth to cover for Nate Pearson or even one or two missed starts by Robbie Ray would would 
you know, not be ideal. Robbie Ray himself is not ideal, so fuck, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> poor Robbie Ray gets thrown under the bus. I know, poor guy. You're no. right, though. You are right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's interesting. It's it's as interesting as it is as exciting as it is scary. Marcus Semyon looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. I've managed to catch a few of his at-bats this spring. He's looking good. Yep. He's hitting the ball hard. Uh, a couple home runs to his name in spring. So he's going to be a, a player that I think is going to be an X-factor, uh, along with a couple other role players like Guriel Jr., going to be super, super X-factor player. Um, but I want to know what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think you nailed it right on the head. Um, just I, uh, They won last night 5 nothing. just so oh. you know. Five oh, nice. Nothing. Thank you for that. And that was behind a Trent Thornton solid performance. The guy came out. Three innings, put him up. Three strikeouts, no and earned runs. It's fantastic. Of, I mean, go yeah, ahead. sorry about that, Josh. I guess speaking of X factors, Trent Thornton's one of them. Exactly, and that's exactly that's what I was going to bring up. We have talked quite a bit about you know the young batting core of the Raptors of Biggio, Bichette, Guerrero. You know, are Guriel going to take a step forward? You know, can somebody like Rowdy Telez take another step forward? But we have to assume that there's a fair assumption that. You know, at least some of them will take that step forward. And the batting lineup has enough depth at this point that I don't think they're going to be a liability. So I'm less starting to think that the success of the season is on the back of this young group and more on the backs of the Jordan Romanos, the Trent Thorntons. Can TJ Zoic find a way to fucking ever be in the major leagues for more than five days? <laughs> it's going to be guys like this, right? I'm high on Trent Thornton. I love to see the guy mm-hmm. pitch. And I would say he's one of those guys where, you know, his numbers aren't always great, but he's that guy who always gets thrusted into situations that are not ideal, right? It's like mm-hmm. Nate Pearson. They're so high on him. He's the future of Blue Jays baseball. So he gets the kid glove treatment. If his hair is out of place, you take the night off. My fingernail <laughs> hurts. It's okay, buddy. You don't have to pitch today. That's fine. Just get some, you know, just go out to the pen, throw a couple balls. And they'll be like, Trent Thornton will fucking do it. And yeah. then some days he'll go out and he'll get lit up. And it's like, oh, Trent Thornton can't do it day after day. But it's like, you don't let the guy just be a starter. You don't let him just be a reliever. You don't let him. He's just the guy, the workhorse that goes out when the studs aren't ready to play. I have and to agree I, with you, man. Yeah, I have to agree with and, you. Sorry, and I'm excited to see what he does. No, that's it, man. I mean, I'm just excited. I just want my boy Trent Thornton to get his just desserts. To be is honest that with even you, the phrase? I don't even know. It sure is. It sure is. It's just dessert. <laughs> it sure absolutely is. And you know what? I think you might be one of the first people to make that great point about Trent Thornton. He's a he's a workhorse. He's a dog. He's had a couple injuries, right? But it's, again, I think he's been mishandled too. I agree with you on that one. He's always just kind of that guy who comes in whenever, you know, the projected starter or the, or the, or the, you know, the bona fide starter can't come in. He's been a spot starter for us, of course. They've given him maybe one legitimate shot to be a starter and he got hurt and ever since then has not really gotten a fair shake. Um, But he's got something there. So all the analytics love him for Mm -hmm. what that's worth. All the analytics love him. Uh, His spin rate on his fastball is one of the highest. Uh, still for the last couple seasons so there's something there with Trent Thornton uh, the likes of Trent Thornton like you said TJ Zoic uh, I'd even like to see I think Ryan Baraki is probably destined for the bullpen based on his you know kind of injury history um, but those young pitchers uh, even we're seeing Simeon Woods Richardson who came back in the Stroman deal uh, with Anthony Kay and Anthony Kay himself mm-hmm. um, are legit legit rotation options now Simeon Woods Richardson's only 20 so if they don't rush him, he's going to be the next guy that they treat with kick gloves. I think he's our next highest kind of ceiling 
pitching prospect. Mm. Um, but guys like Anthony Kay and Thornton and Zoic and all these guys who kind of have had their cup of coffee in mm. the league, Anthony Kay kind of more so. He stuck around a little bit more. But this is their chance, I think. And like you said, I think the success of the Jays, I think that young pitching group is really, yeah, it's on their backs. They're the X factor. So if they break out, and everyone's saying, you know, at least a couple of our hitters have to break out. Well, shouldn't the same be said of the pitchers? At least one or two have to come out and be bona fide, just number four and five starters. That's it. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, starters-wise, I'm a little bit nervous, but I think I do expect Jordan Romano to be a absolute stud this year mm-hmm. and a certified beauty on this show. Okay, before we move on to our next topic, Dan, I want your prediction. Blue Jays wins this year. How many mm-hmm. you got him at? Oh, this is a great question. Um, I got him at 91. Wow. I'm going to sit at 91. Let's wow. do it. Let's fucking go. But you said no playoffs. I still say no playoffs, and I'll tell you why. Wow, okay. Because the Yankees win 100 games right. a century, and the Rays come in at 93. Interesting. So, Anything. And you don't think they they grab that, that wild card? That second wild card? We're getting a little bit into the details here now, but I'm just having a really hard time, again, picturing the Jays' rotation all the way down the stretch. And I know I said the Yankees are going to win 100 games with their shitty rotation. Right. But I, I, I but just... But they're a powerhouse. But they're just a powerhouse, man. So, like I said, I think the Jays are still still going to win 90 games. 89 maybe at the very least. That's my baseball number, so I can I get that grace number. Nice. Um, but... I'm going to sit at 91, and I'm going to say they still finish just out. It's a heartbreaker. What about you? I have been going back and forth, doing some math, you know, getting my math on. I mean, Mm -hmm. I before the season, I was going to say about that. I was going to say I was going to be in that 90 to 92 range. But then I watch half of our team explode, and their bodies just absolutely fucking (laughs) collapse. So I have them down to 87, and I think that – they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be right on the cusp of, of potentially battling for that last wild card spot. Um, but it's interesting. Opening day is next week, Daniel. I'm excited. I know you are, but we got to move on. UFC 260 is this weekend. We've been talking about it for several weeks since they announced this fight. We don't have a lot of time to break down the entire card, so we're gonna focus on the big dogs. Let the big dogs eat, okay? Francis Ngannou. Number one contender in the heavyweight division goes up against Stipe Miocic. Honestly, Miocic has probably flown under the radar as one of the best heavyweights in UFC history. Dan. I'm excited, man. Stipe was fantastic last time. Naganu was fantastic last time. It was an overall entertaining fight. Um, but I, it was really my introduction to both fighters at that point. Um, and watching Miocic, you know, just... The power, man. Oh, the power. That, that was fun. That was just a lot of fun. When was that? That was about a month ago now? A month and a half? Or was time flying? Well, when, those, when they fought? When they first fought the first time, yeah. Uh, I think 2018. Did we not, didn't they fight the other day? Or no. Who fought, who fought Nagano? Am I, am I mixing up my names? Yeah, you're mixing up your names. Oh, oh, fuck here. Well, who's, who fought Nagano? <laughs> who fought, fuck fought Nagano last time? Uh, off the top of my head, uh, was it uh, Derek Lewis? That we just that we just watched. We didn't just watch Ngannou fight. I can't recall. Well, while you're looking that up, I do want to amend something. I've had a bad taste in my mouth for about a minute here after I said 100 games. I think my weighting of baseball games 
might be off a little bit, you know, thanks to the shortened season last year. I'm going to amend that and say Yankees at 95, just as a B-side. Okay, but, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair guess to the Yankees. They, you know, they, they're just so powerful this year. It's very likely that they're going to be, they're definitely going to win the AL East. There's, there's no question. But yes, I was right. Stipe beat Ngannou in 2018. So why am I fucking mixing up? Where the hell have I been? I don't know. You're, you're drunk. Either way, the last fight that I saw him in was fantastic. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to this one. What's everyone saying? Like, what are the odds? What, what, who's favored here? Um, I think it's I think it's pretty well split down the middle. The interesting fact is, you know, every time we've made predictions recently, I have always taken the guy who I thought was the better fighter, the better all-around fighter, and I've gone against the power, and that has bitten me in the ass like crazy. So I am kind of personally, I'm leading towards Nganu. He in his last four fights, he has not had a fight last longer than one minute and eleven seconds, which is absolutely insane. His power is like nothing we've ever seen before in fighting. I think that the first time he fought Stipe, Stipe won by unanimous decision. I think partially that is because at that time, uh, Stipe was definitely a better fighter. I also think it had partially to do with the fact that Ngannou had not gone deep in a fight before. He hadn't gone deep even in a three-round fight before because he's so powerful and has dominated his competition. So the first time he steps in the ring for a five-round fight, it ends up going all five rounds. And you could see it. As the fight started to, to progress, he couldn't keep up physically with Stipe's energy and wrestling, and he ended up just getting taken down and beaten up, and he ended up losing by decision. I think this time, although his last four fights, so since 2018, he's actually only literally in four fights been in the ring for just over two minutes. I do think that he will come with his cardio correct. He'll know what to expect, and if he can keep the distance and land a big shot, it's going to be lights out. Well, since I obviously uh, am experiencing a case of mistaken identity, sorry, Mr. Miocic, I, I apologize. I'm going with Naganu as well, just because that's yeah. the fellow that I know best. Um, and, and I want to see, you know, if the fight stays, if the fight stays up, standing up, and it's a and it's a striking affair, would you still make the same the same prediction? Yeah, well, Ngannou's just got so much more power. I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. Miocic hasn't, like, knocked out or TKO'd. Like, 70% of his wins are also by that, too. And I don't mm-hmm. want to undersell the fact that, like I said, I think Stipe is one of the best heavyweights of all time. I just think that Ngannou, with his power and the fact that he's going to come in, he's already fought Miocic before, he's going to prepare for those things. I think that, you know, I because all it takes is him to get touched once. Right? That's mm-hmm, all it takes. Mm-hmm. It was like when I took Curtis Blades at fight night, what, a month ago? It was because he is a better fighter. He's a better striker, you know, a little bit more efficient striker, shall we say, to Derek Lewis. He had better ground game. He was better overall fighter. And sure, he looked great. And then, boom, you get caught. You make one mistake. It's lights out. And I think in Ganu's power, I think, you know, good night, Jim Kite. I think it's going to be <laughs> I think it's gonna be over. Uh, I think it's going to be over. And then I really look forward to... You know, round three between these two combats. Really, really quickly, is there anything to gloss over? Anything else on that card that's worth mentioning, or is it just sort of a see you this Saturday type thing? Uh, the, you know, that fight obviously is the one that are going to get the eyes on the TV. But mm. 
Another fight that I'm really, really excited for, Sugar Sean O'Malley takes on Thomas Almeida in the bantamweight division. Sugar Sean is 12-1. and If you haven't seen him before, YouTube him if you're listening to this. He is super, super exciting to watch. He's like kind of, you know, he's got that Conor McGregor swagger. He's in and out. He's very, you know, he switches positions a lot. He goes from southpaw to... Uh, to standard all the time. He he's just he he's really really unpredictable and and he's really exciting to watch. I cannot wait for that one, sir. Well, that's awesome. So for the more I guess casual spectators among us, you know those kind of spectacle fighters, those guys that are flashy, making a scene kind of type thing. I'm always excited for that. So I'll see you this Saturday. Is that correct? This Saturday, sir. All right. Well, that on pay per view. On pay per view. Okay. Uh, anyway, moving on to our next topic, Josh, real quickly. Not for nothing. Or have we? Are we there yet? We are there yet? Okay, good. I thought I was getting ahead of myself. Not for nothing, Josh, but I don't think there's any sort of goalie controversy or any sort of goalie conundrum in Toronto, um, the Maple Leafs. I, I don't think there's a, a problem there. Jack Campbell's hot. Freddie Anderson's not. I'm hot, Josh, and, and you're not. So, again, no, <laughs> just no controversy there. All jokes aside, though, I just don't think I don't think there's anything wrong there. Just ride the hot hand. That's it. What do you think? And everyone seems to be going crazy. Is he gonna, are they going to make a move? Are they going to do this? No, don't make a move. Do not make a move. Don't toy with it. This is the first year where the Leafs sort of have, like, a functional blue line. So right. just go with it. You don't need, like, an all-star guy making unbelievable saves and quite stealing you games. Your multiple $11 million men should earn you games. Uh, and, and your goalie doesn't necessarily have to be a Vesna candidate. It could just be someone who's just sturdy back there. And I think that Jack Campbell offers that right now. And I don't think there's a controversy to be had. Just start the guy. If Freddie is secretly hurt or nursing an injury in the background, let him do so. But I do think that if that team plays the way that they've been playing, now I know they've been on a bit of a skid lately, um... I think it's the uncertainty, maybe, the flipping back and forth, trying Freddie Anderson. But every time they've started Jack Campbell, they've won. So just ride him out. What do you think? Am I just kind of blowing past it or, or, or dismissing it? No, I think it's fine. I think if we're talking regular season, um, you know, I am a proponent of, you know, player goalies as much as you have to. And I mean, Toronto has had a really bad luck history of not having a good backup goalie. They're used to making Freddie Anderson play 70 games, 68 mm -hmm. games on a full season. And that's what the fans have kind of become accustomed to. Mm -hmm. So them just seeing another goalie step up and win games like that is the fucking point. That's why you have a backup goalie he takes the night off. He can't do what Freddie would do if they played, if they both played 50 games. He just can't do it. Freddie's a better goalie. Mm -hmm. um, so I agree. I think where the controversy kind of comes in for the Leafs is come playoff time because you're not going to put Campbell in. You're just not. You know they're not. Unless Freddie gets hurt <laughs> or he gets absolutely lit up two games in a row. They are never going to put Campbell in net. So you're riding Anderson, but you've already been down this road before where, he, you know, he can't steal you games. And I get it. Your point is that the team is strong enough that he shouldn't have to steal games. He just needs to be decent. And you're right. So the mm -hmm. question is, can he be decent for a whole playoff series? I would like to think so. What I've seen of him recently, no. Um but I, I think that, ooh, they, they would have a hard time they would have a hard time selling that first Freddie Anderson loss in the playoffs if they went down one nothing right away. 
Well, and if it's like a 5-1 game... Yeah, then that would be then bad. What? Dubis right? would need fucking a, a Brinks truck to take him from, from, the <laughs> arena, from the arena back to his condo. But uh, uh, but I, I know for sure, like, you kind of have to. Like, I know on name value alone, it's kind of like, it's it's nutty. It's ballsy. With, that, with, with the amount of money you have on the ice playing for that team, it's ballsy. It's sacky, if you will. I don't even know what else I could say about it. <laughs> it's oh, fucked up God. to it's start Jack Campbell. It is yeah. just to start Jack Campbell. It is, but I mean, I think that's what they got to do because I mean, I mean, we'll see how the next few games play out, how the end of the season plays out with Fred Anderson. But if the playoffs started like tomorrow, would you not have to start Jack Campbell instead of Fred Anderson? I mean, no, bar, I barring the fact that he's hurt, would you? No, I don't think so. I mean, I it, it, it's kind of similar to what we talked about in Montreal, right? It's like Jake Allen's having a better season. Are you really going to bench Carey Price in the playoffs? Probably not. But I think my, my point has always been you go with your goalie, have your goalie, you start your fucking goalie, but if it doesn't work out, you need to be okay to pull that plug. And, and that's where I'm kind of in agreement with you is that I'm still going Freddie. But if he shows me any sign he can't get it done, because you know if the Leafs don't win a playoff series this year, they're going to have to blow this team up. Yeah, They're going to have to. So it's like, if he shows you any signs that he will not get it done, you need to be okay to say we're going to go to Campbell. But that being said, I think you know we're not at that point. No, definitely not. Definitely not. But would you say Freddie Anderson starts game one? And it's three nothing by the second period. Yeah, he's done. I'm yanking him. You you, you won't pull him? Yeah, I'm yanking him for sure. I'm you're, you're yank- him. Oh, mid game, you're yanking him. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, in the oh really? Of the game. And then if Jack Campbell has a good second half of that game, he gets to start. And if he doesn't, then Freddie goes back in. Okay. On game two, I just think you know you have a backup goalie for a reason. It's not for him to be guaranteed sitting on his ass for the playoffs. The mm-hmm. better goalie at the time should start. Although that is hard because Freddie, like I said, over a bigger sample size is a hundred percent the better goalie. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, it's not a controversy. F- that's what I'm saying, but I will say that it's definitely something interesting to watch. Definitely one of the more interesting storylines for any team uh, going into the playoffs. Absolutely, I like, I like your take on it, though, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Dan, I got one for you. Not for nothing. <laughs> And I know this is not going to be a super popular opinion based on what I'm seeing online, but I agree with the NHL firing referee Tim Peel. For everyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, Peel was wearing a microphone during the Detroit-Nashville game Tuesday night and was heard making comments over live TV. Man forgot he had a hot mic on him. He said, It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early. Okay, the next day... The NHL put out a presser. Tim Peel has been fired. Now, the sentiment online is that you know the underbelly of all sports that makeup calls happen, that things like this happen. You know, refs break, you know, they make mistakes and then they want to even out the game by, you know, calling one back, right? So, and, and you know, and his, his like foresight is that I want to get them a penalty earlier in the period because then, it, you know, maybe it's less impactful than, you know, later in the period. My thought in that is you are not God. 
You are not God of this sport. <laughs> you as a referee, your job is to call the game by the rules. Your job isn't to make things up, to even things out. If you made a bad call, don't make a fucking bad call later in the game. That's my perspective. And I think this shows you going out of your way to control the game like you are the God of the game. You are not, sir. You are not a player. <laughs> you are not a part of the game. Your, ga- your fucking job is to keep it within the confines of the rule. If you fuck up, don't fuck up again. To me, you fucked up more. If you saw that penalty, he wasn't even near the guy. Like, it would be even <laughs> a little bit different. You know, sometimes, you know, they get a little hook, a little jab ref left to go, but technically he's breaking a rule. Call that, because then at least you can say, you know, you called maybe a soft penalty, but he still broke the fucking rules in this situation. You called a guy for a penalty when the other guy slipped. They weren't even fucking near each other. It, it, it upsets me. I hate it. And I think the NHL had no choice but to let him go. I think they could have suspended him. It, you know, it might have been a little bit severe, but they couldn't let it go. People spend a lot of money betting on this, and then they spend a lot of money and their time watching and dedicated to yeah. this. So then you have mm-hmm. somebody that's controlling it that is not in the game. I, I, I agree with the league. I don't care what... The internet says, Dan, what do you think? <laughs> okay, I, I I disagreed with you up until the part at the end where um, you're saying people put a lot of money into this and uh, and people get a lot of enjoyment and spend a lot of time on this. So now you have some kind of third party external actor kind of changing the outcome. That's bad. You're right. When you phrase it like that, I 100% agree with you. But I think it was a bit harsh. Now he does retire this at the end of the season anyway. So he had maybe, what, 15 games left. So... Let's just preface with that. My first reaction when I read NHL referee caught on hot mic between periods, I went, oh, no. (laughs) I said, God, good God, man. This is awful. This is, you know what I mean? Like, I thought, again, we had a fucking another Matt Rowan situation on our hands. Right. Another another idiot. So I was a bit relieved to see that it was actually something related to the game, which is a sad standard to have, which is a very sad standard to have nowadays, right? That's a sad state of affairs. Um, but that's a B side again. Um, and then when I heard it, I went and I looked back and I didn't see anything that Nashville did that was egregious enough to kind of warrant the, the ref holding a, a grudge against them. So I thought that was a little bit weird. I don't think they got away with anything blatantly earlier on that. Would kind I of think it was a makeup call. call for a previous penalty that was called that shouldn't have been called. Was it? Yeah. I, but that, that, that's what the sentiment is. But I mean, oh, I, oh. I, they, I don't really know. It's, it's to anyone's guess, but the understanding yeah. is that it's some form of a makeup call. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I looked back and I didn't see anything that was super egregious that they got away with. I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not seeing the right thing. I don't know. I didn't think yeah. that it warranted a wake up call where he has to be that mad about it. Um, I know it's something, again, you see it in baseball. You see it everywhere um, where, you know, one team is perceived to have got a bad call, so the ref tries to bounce it in the other favor. I like that human element a little bit, if I'm honest with you. I do. I like a little bit of the human element of the game. Uh, I mean, I don't want by the the letter. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, let me know. Sorry, that's my fault. I'm interrupting you. But let me put it into baseball baseball terms, right? So Mm -hmm. you have an umpire. He's, He's behind the dish. Pitcher throws the ball. It's two inches outside. Calls it a ball, right? 
mm-hmm. just maintain that as you know calls it a strike sorry so now mm-hmm. just maintain that as a strike don't worry about making up calls and other at bats because then you're just fucking confusing everybody now no one knows what what's this guy's strike zone he's a fucking lunatic instead just make that two <laughs> inches outside is now a strike for the rest of the game because you called it and, and and i feel it's the same way there needs to be consistency you're not god and 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 i agree but that being said you raise a very very good point and that is the reason why tim peel is not our jerk of the week is because mm-hmm. his issue was within the confines of the game so it doesn't really to me affect his integrity as a person no nope. nope. and and I do think that the NHL might have been a tad severe, but I am in agreement that a firm line in the sand must be drawn when it comes to bullshit like this. But now we get on to our last segment, the jerk of the week, and this is somebody that is very deserving of it. Another jerk out of Houston. Who would have thought that the state with the Astros and and all that shit? <laughs> I'm stuck on the Astros still. Yeah, yeah, um, you are. That would 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 give rise to the jerk of the week. The jerk of the week this week is Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson. Uh, Josh, I understand that his rap sheet is almost as long as a handful of that new Charmin four ply toilet paper. This is a <laughs> long rap sheet, and my jokes aside, it's a it's a kind of serious one. And I when I went and I turned on the 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 TV and I and I they actually listed them all off. I went, oh, oh goodness. Do you think you could? Can you apprise me of what we're looking at here? Yeah, so this has been a story that's been kind of developing over the last weeks. Um, he has now been charged with 16 lawsuits, all alleging sexual assault, primarily uh, around uh, massages. Uh, But there are more and more women that are coming forward. Two new lawsuits were filed against Watson in Harris County, Texas on Tuesday, alleging he assaulted women while receiving a massage in May and October of 2020. So this is relatively recently. Mm. What is getting making this story even crazier is that a lawsuit filed earlier this week actually has started to refer to him as a serial predator, that he's going out of his way to you know, to do this, that it's not an isolated incident. It's not something that is like, you know, even, you know, your word against my word or, or anything like that, that this is a man that is making serious, serious bad decisions and it's hurting a lot of people. Now here is his response. I'm going to read it as a quote. As a result of social media's post by a publicity-seeking plaintiff's lawyer, I recently became aware of a lawsuit that has been apparently been filed against me. I have not yet seen the complaint, but I know this. I have never treated any woman with anything other than the utmost respect. The plaintiff's lawyer claims that this isn't about money, but before filing the suit, he made a baseless six-figure settlement demand and which one that I quickly rejected. Unlike him, this isn't about money for me. It's about clearing my name and I look forward to doing that. So that being said, you know, we've said this before, he has not been you know, prosecuted. There hasn't been due diligence. There haven't been, you know, there hasn't been, you know, a court, a court case and and lawyers involved and, and evidence coming to light. That being said though, 16 sexual assault allegations have come against him by several women over several months and periods of a year. 
and and, it, and it's terrifying and it's sad and and Deshaun Watson is our jerk of the week. You know what? I I had tapped into this story. It's interesting that you say that it snowballed, and it's interesting that rich people and celebrity athletes have the benefit of the snowball effect. Let me explain. So I had tapped into this story when it was very early on, and he had you know dismissed the allegations, and so I just thought of him as a scumbag, scumbag, douchebag, right? Whatever. A uh, uh, um, potential. Somebody who just gives me the heebie-jeebies, a creep to women, right? All-around loser. The fact that it snowballed, I had no idea it had to come to 16 complaints. So let me think, you know, you start off hearing about these things and, you know, you don't hear that it's true or you don't hear really the details. And as that snowballs, rich people get that benefit that if you miss that snowball at any stage of the snowball, you might miss the whole story in general. Right. You might miss it because it flies under the radar. Yeah. Because although he's saying, you know, he's now he's calling the lawyer names and he's saying all this, he's trying to discredit them, right? Another strategy yeah. as old as time. But what perturbs me is that I'm sure behind the scenes at the same time, he and his legal team are spending lots of money and time to kind of dampen this down. Of and course. To keep, and to keep it quiet, right? Rather than just, just exploding, he gets the benefit of this snowball effect. So to hear that it's now 16 complaints, I know, like you said, there's no been no official legal proceedings and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, where there's smoke, there's fire. You don't just get 16 complaints against you. Yeah, if, totally. Yeah. If, yeah. It if seems you're like very disgusting. logical. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you're not disgusting, you're not going to get those against you. So it, it's, it's disheartening to hear, man. I just feel like our jerk of the weeks, you know, out of the, I guess, what is this episode 11 and we're on now? 12. 12? Episode 12. 12. Out of the 12 that we featured, the 12 absolute jerk wads that we featured, a lot of them seem to be like abusive or, or otherwise demeaning towards women. And that's just depressing. Um, and then you have the other half that is racial, you know, has racial discrimination or outright violent racist thoughts and words and, and actions. And so I'm glad that we can kind of spotlight these pricks because again, every time I bring one up to somebody, I'll have at least one friend or one family member say, I didn't hear about that. Right. I, I didn't read about that. I didn't read about that. Deshaun Watson, I didn't read about that. Or, you know, Matt Rowan, who the hell is that? I'm glad that we could bring that up because this shouldn't fly under the radar. It's disgusting. These people should be out of sports and out of the celebrity eye and in a prison. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, and, and that's what they, they should be charged for, for their actions and they should be held accountable regardless of their, their stature within the community. So, yeah, I 100% agree and this is why we do it. Um, you know, this is why we also wrap the show with it to give, you know, people something to think about and... You know, as much as I hope we have more Jordan Binnington type jerks of the week where they're just being shitheads, um, you know, we can't overlook these very serious, you know, stories in sports. And, and like you said, shed light on them. But that is all the time we have this week. Dan, thank you again. I love this. I love you. I love baseball. <laughs> Opening days this week. I'm excited. UFC 260. This is a great time for sports. I'm excited. Speaking of opening day, here's just a little something just to send you on your way, anybody who's listening right now. A uh, great opening day tradition that I like to do and that I know, Josh, you'll be partaking in this year is footlong dogs on the grill at home. <laughs> we can't be in the stadium to enjoy those footlong dogs with all the fixings, all the vegetables, all the sautéed toppings. Um, so you know what? I'm going to put that in your minds now. Now you're craving a big, beautiful barbecued dog with all the fixings for opening day. Uh, and I know I'll be enjoying one. Josh, send me a picture of yours. We should do a dog v. dog off. What do you think? I am down. We will go IG live and show our delicious, our gel- delicious opening day snacks. Awesome. Sounds good. Josh, thank you, sir. And let's have a beautiful weekend, everybody.
Yeah, so see you next Friday. Peace, jerky crew.